My name is Lloyd Shadrach. If you're a guest, I'm one of the teaching pastors, along with Rob Sweet. As, uh, you know, we rotate between our Brentwood and Franklin uh, congregations. About, not last week, but the week before, uh, our 22-year-old son, he's a senior at University of Tennessee, he texted me to say, Dad, I just tested positive for type A flu. Uh, which is, you know, everywhere. And uh, that same morning, it was a Tuesday morning, Lisa called me to say, hey, uh, just so you know, um, Sally, we, this is our, we had a, a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. Sally's a junior at Franklin High. She said, uh, Sally just tested positive for strep and type A flu. <laughs> so, you know, we have this going on now. Now, Darden's, of course, at school, so I'm, you know, take care of himself. But uh, Sally's home. But I was concerned more than I have been you know and this happens every year we go to flu season people get flu but you you know why I was more concerned this year why would I because I'm elderly that's what (laughs) Eric said he see now here's here's what I know he planned that all he knew this was coming and you were going to land that on me yes that's one reason what's the other reason what's what about this flu season it's pretty bad yeah and and um you know, so many deaths, and it kind of got me looking up some statistics on the flu season, and it is the worst we've had, way, way worse, they think, right now than 2009, which was the worst up to that point, and also got me thinking about some uh, just disease in in general, because I'm looking up these stats on, you know, the flu, whatever, but I looked at some historic uh, epidemics and and things that, you know, killed killed many, many more, and you'll be familiar with these. There's three that top the list. The, The first is uh, the Black Plague, this is in the 14th century. Uh, they say that it killed 25 million uh, people in Europe. Uh, it, uh, it was just in four years, 25 million. Some believe it was way higher than that and, and took up to half the population at that time. It's the Bubonic Plague, so maybe you remember it by that name, you know, rather than the Black Death. There's the Spanish Plague. This was in 1918, so it's kind of like, that wasn't that long ago, 1918 per se. 50 million uh, killed in that plague. And then the plague of Justinian, I'd never heard of, 541. Now we're going way back. Uh, but in that plague, 25 million of the uh, Eastern people in the Eastern Roman Empire were killed. In that Justinian plague, you all, in Constantinople, so pick a, that city, in that city there were 10,000 people dying every day. And as devastating, you know, you look at those and go, oh my word, as devastating as these three, I want to suggest that there's actually a, a, a disease in our day, even in our day with all the medicines and vaccines and everything that we have that uh, has actually killed more people and is killing more people. than if you took every person who's died from every disease from the beginning of history till now, now, I know that's a tall order, but I'm going to suggest it's true. That you combine, you take every person who's died of disease from the beginning of history to this day, and, and this disease that I'm thinking of has actually killed more. And I don't know of a clearer and more compelling picture of the disease than what we actually see in the story that Joe just read. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. We're in verses 1 to 19. It is the story of Saul's conversion. Now, 
it's probably the most familiar conversion story in the Bible, if not in the, in the world. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I am not going to spend a lot of time, you know, teaching the text per se, because I want us, I want us to identify this disease and this story and what's in it and, and see how this story, honestly, affects our own story today, literally right now. We're going we're gonna to work on that together. Um, the context for the story. Um, I, th- I think you guys know this, somewhat familiar with this. Saul, uh, we pick him up in the story of Acts back in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and, and actually back into chapter 7. This is the guy, Saul, who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. This is Saul, okay, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, what 8, 1 through 3 says is that he was ravaging the church in Jerusalem. You all, he was conducting religious home invasions where he would go into homes in Jerusalem and, and find Christ followers, pull them out, jail them, many of them killed. He'll describe this later. Paul himself will say many of those were killed. Many of those, I said, you need to recant. They wouldn't recant, and so they would... He would, he would kill them. Now, he has ravaged Jerusalem, uh, it, it seems, by this point in chapter 9, to where he's thinking, I'm going to go beyond Jerusalem. And so what we pick up in this story is he goes to Damascus. Jerusalem's here. Damascus 140 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's a seven-day journey. And uh, that's where we pick up the story in chapter 9, beginning there in verse 1. Now, Here's, here's what I want, would like to do for, for time's sake. We just read it. I'm not going to read it back through again. Um, he goes to Damascus. On the way to Damascus, a light blinds him. It's Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Paul says, who are you? Jesus says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. You know, in that one statement, you all, I want you to get this. I'm I'm going to highlight just a few things. Paul, in his mind, has not touched Jesus. Who has Paul been touching and persecuting? Literally, who? Christ followers. And Jesus, in this one statement, makes absolutely clear that if you are in Christ, you're a Christian, you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then in a very real sense, don't miss this, because I'm going to come back to this at the end. You're, you are Jesus. Jesus' spirit lives in you. Your identity now is Christ. And so, so Jesus said, you're, you're, you're persecuting me. Now, with that said, two things. The church, understand, we are not a building. We are not a, 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 an entity, per se. We're, we, we are, the church is the people who know Jesus. So this is what's kind of been convicting me. I'll offer this. is if I, When I say things about other Christians, I'm saying that about Jesus. Now, that, I say things about other Christians sometimes. And I go, you know what? I, I need to pay attention to that. And when you say something about the church, I can say things about other churches that I would not want to say in front of you. And I go, that's not right. For to do that, you you understand, Jesus said, that's me that you're speaking about. Really profound. Now, Saul, the image that we get in this story is Saul being led into the city like this. 
And what I want you to get in your mind's eye is that Luke shows this picture. He's going there to grab Christians, to bind them, and to lead them back to Jerusalem, to incarceration, if not death. Instead, God intervenes, and Saul's being led into Damascus, bound in blindness. Wonderful word picture, wonderful story as we read it in this way. Ananias is there. Uh, what, you know, what, what, a, what a divine providence that God has his man there to do what he did. We don't often talk about Ananias. This is not the same Ananias as before, but man, what a, what a step of faith. And I want to make two observations, and then I'm, I'm literally going to tell you to close your Bibles, and we're going to talk about this disease. But I want to make these two observations. First is this. Um, understand that we can barely grasp the... Uh, the difficulty Saul had in seeing, uh, seeing Jesus. Now, now, there's at least two reasons why it was so difficult for him. Uh, the first is, he is absolutely wired into the scripture of the Old Testament. So, you know, they know this. He's, he's, you know, he's climbed the ranks of the rabbis, and he's they got this stuff memorized. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, if a man is hung on a tree, he's cursed of God. Now, that doesn't mean hung on the tree like this, but hung on a tree. Jesus was killed on a tree on a wooden cross. And for, for Saul, you see, who's absolutely committed to the word of God, is this not a good thing? And the word of God says any man that dies on a tree like that is cursed. Is this not true? If God said it's true, it's true. So, so I, it gives me empathy for Saul to go, you know, he, he's thinking there's no way that the Messiah that God is sending to us to save us and restore his kingdom would be a man that is cursed. You see that? This makes total sense to me. And also this, that when Messiah comes, Saul understands this. He knows this better than, honestly, better than you and I would know it. When Messiah comes, he's going to restore the kingdom forever. So there's no way that Messiah could be a dead man. <laughs> and, of course, he believes Jesus is dead. Now, this, I'm not excusing him. I'm going, well, it makes sense why he would have such difficulty overcoming those obstacles. Just hold that for a second because I'll come back to it. The second thing I want to just think about is Ananias. And I think he gives us a pretty fascinating not fascinating, that's not the right word, a, 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 just a, a clear picture of the Christian life. And, and I'll offer this for our own uh, encouragement and challenge. Think about Ananias. Ananias is in Damascus. He's a believer. He's a Christ follower. And so Jesus comes to him, you know, in a vision, in, in the same way as to Saul, and says, you know, I want you to go to this man, Saul, and touch him and restore his sight because he's blind. He actually seeing you in a vision. It's like visions and visions, vision in a vision, you know, that he's seeing. And Ananias says, whoa, well, wait a minute. This is, this, this Saul, Lord, this, this man kills your followers. He's, he's harmed so many in Jerusalem. And by the way, notice that, that the news about Saul and his coming to Damascus and what he was coming for already had gotten to them pre-internet, social media, anything. Word travel fast back then, too, in many ways. And so he says, look, he's, he's got letters to bring those of us he finds here and take us back to Jerusalem where you're going to be in jail or you're going to be killed. Now, what Ananias described, is that true? This is not a trick question. Is what Ananias just described true? Say it out loud. It, it's true. So I want you to know, Ananias' fears, whatever, and the reality in his life is it's true. Now, 
What could it cost Ananias? Could it cost Ananias to do what Jesus tells him to do? This is not a trick question. What could it cost him? Yeah, I don't want you to, I don't, you know, there's nothing less than this. It's his life. It could cost him his life. Now, on this side, you've got Jesus who says to Ananias, Go. Well, it could cost me my life. I want you to go, because this is what I'm going to do. Is this not the Christian life? I mean, really, you think about your life and mine. The world, there are things that happened in your week this week that were real. And, and there are things coming up in, in your week and in your month and your whatever that are real. That, that you, if you make a step of faith, it could cost you Maybe not your physical life, but it could cost you your livelihood. It could. If, if God tells you to do something and you do it, it could cost you a, a friendship. It could cost you, it, it could cost you dearly. Are you with me? It really will cost you. And yet, it, it, if it's something that God, by his spirit and through his word, is saying, I want you to do this. Isn't that where you and I live? And the question becomes, will we trust what he says or what we see. It's just really earthy to me because it's not like the Christian life is lived out in some panacea where it's like, you know, this is not real. This is not going to happen. No, the bad things can happen and do. But Jesus said, go. He said, go, not just to Ananias, you all, but to each one of us. And he does it daily. Weekly, monthly. Okay, close your Bibles because I that, we we this the story. It's not how I normally might teach, but I want to do something different today. So close your Bibles if you would, please, because I just want you now to kind of get your focus up here and let's see uh, where this story and how this story intersects with our own, and then we're gonna we're gonna live it here in a moment. Okay, so what is the disease that is so devastating? that is described in this story. I want to suggest it's the disease of religion. Religion. And some of you may say, well, that's odd, Lloyd, that you would talk, say, the disease of religion, and you're, you're teaching from one of the, the, if not the most religious book on the planet, so let me stop and, and go, well, let me define religion. And I'm going I'm to define it, and I'm going to defend the definition, if I may, by our own, uh, our own reality. Um, religion, what I'm going to define it is this. It's mankind, man's best effort to reach God. I could say it this way. It's man's best efforts to be acceptable to God. It's us trying to do, live in such a way that God will accept us, that we can be with God, that we can connect to God. That's religion. If you took every religion on the planet, there, I know of no exception to this. I'll take the, probably the big four, if not, you know, there's more certainly, but if you take the big four, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Judaism, uh, you can Google this, you can study this. I'm not trying to, paint a straw man. I'm really not. I'm trying to say this is, this is the reality of what, what they believe. Uh, Hinduism, Hindus work 
toward spiritual perfection through, um, through the worship of deities, plural, and, and through uh, a dedication to religious ceremony and ritual. That, that's what they do. Uh, Buddhism. Buddhists, they strive to, uh, you know, they, distri- they strive to empty themselves of all desire, if you know much about Buddhism. They're going to empty themselves of all desire to be one with, one with the essence of being, so to speak. And they're going to, you know how they're going to do this? Through following certain rituals and through meditation. I'm talking about meditation on steroids, power meditation, you know, so to speak, truly. If you took Islam, Listen, Muslims believe that they will either be with Allah after death or not with Allah after death based on how they live. I mean this, it's what they do. And do they follow the five guidelines of, 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 of religion? That, that's, what, that's their belief system. How about Judaism? Now, what is Paul in this? What, what, is, what religion is Paul? Judaism, what Judaism had become at this day. And at this stage, for them, it is to follow 613 laws derived from the Old Testament. And, you know, and today, while waiting on Messiah, a Jew, you know, it's keeping these laws, religious rituals, that makes them acceptable to God in life and afterlife. That's true to this day. Are you with me? Now, you may say, well, then you're leaving out Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is not a religion. Not based on the definition that I've just given you and not based on these religions that I've just outlined. Christianity is the only belief system by which it is not our efforts to reach God. It's not our... Uh, lifestyle and choices to be acceptable to God that, that, that puts us in relationship with our God. It's what God does for us. The only belief system on the planet. And you might say, well, Lloyd, but the Bible is such a religious book. And again, go back to the definition I'm using. If you use the definition I, I said to you, then, then the Bible, I want to suggest, is not religious at all. It's not religious. It's not a, it, this, this is not here. Here's what you must do and here's what you must follow in order to be acceptable to God. Can I tell you, the Bible's a book about relationship from beginning to end. If you go to Genesis, we see that God created the whole world, put a man and a woman in the garden and, and said, uh, uh, you have been made and created to be in relationship with me, to co-rule and reign with me over creation. And we're going to do this together in relationship. That's the intent of God. You don't get very far in Genesis. You realize that Adam and Eve broke that relationship by their choice. Okay, And then the rest of the Bible... Go through the rest of the Bible. It's the story of God and what he does in order to make a way for a rebellious humanity to come back into relationship with him in this life and into a relationship that lasts forever. That's what the Bible is about. Now, here's why we get confused. (laughs) The Bible describes so many religious people. 
It does. It, it, it describes people who, who, who are striving to, to, to reach God. And that's not what the story is about. I've suggested that Paul is this story, and it's told three times in Acts, is a story of the most religious man on the planet. I'm telling you, he would say he, he, he was the most religious man on the planet, how it was that God came after him to bring him into a relationship with himself because he loved him so. Now, Why is this rope up here? I want you to think. I want you to think about. Uh, I want you to think about it in this way. How many of you um, had a uh, gym class when you were in elementary school? <laughs> what are you laughing at? And do you remember the rope hanging in the gym? Oh, my gosh. Now, I grew up in a military family as you know, our Negley clan over here. And so maybe it was just military. How many of you had the rope hanging in the gym? Not just the military family. So I'm going, okay. So I'm going, I hated the rope in there. I hated that rope. And you had to do the sit-up drill, you know, and you had to do these, run the mile or whatever. And then you had to climb that, you had to, you had to you had to climb that rope, and that's all I'm going to do for illustration right there. But you had to go up that rope, you know, and wrapping your legs around it, it burns your hands and everything. Girls could go up it faster than I could. I don't mean to be sexist on that, and other guys go up it. It's nothing to them. I want you to, I want to, I want you to think about this illustration to say, what if this rope represented what you have to do in order to be acceptable to God? that you have to climb the rope of religion. You got to climb the rope of religion to reach God, to be acceptable to God. Now, I want you to go with me on this illustration. It's not just that you have to climb this to the beam that it's attached to, of course, in this room. I want you to imagine that this rope of religion goes through the roof, goes through the clouds, goes out of our atmosphere and is actually attached to the moon. Okay, just imagine throat goes all the way to the moon. Just stick with me on this. Um, could anyone climb the rope to the moon? Answer me. No, no one can climb the rope. Now, some of you will get higher than others. I want to suggest that Paul got higher than any human uh, you know, ever did. But no one could get there. And so it doesn't really matter how high you go, you can't get there this way. Now, if we as regional human beings know that, you, that no, one, no one's going to make it, let me ask you a question. Why does everyone try? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, are we, are we stupid? <laughs> you know what I mean? No one's going to make it, but why does everyone try to climb the rope of religion? Have you ever thought about that? I want to suggest the biblical answer is that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had a choice, they had a choice between a relationship with God based on faith or a life based on what they would choose. 
the rope of religion. That's, that's what their choice was. Which did they choose? Think about it. Which did they choose? They chose the rope of religion. God said, if you trust me, if you'll believe my word, all will be well. Don't eat from that tree. They said, I think we're going to choose our own way. Give me the fruit. They ate the fruit. And it's a picture of we're going we're to take, take the path of what we do, God, rather than trust what you have said and promised. And every human being born of Adam and Eve, that's everyone, carries that DNA. We are as addicted to the rope of religion as an alcoholic is to alcohol. We cannot not grab it and try. According to the Bible. Think about this. When we grab the rope of religion, whose hand is our salvation now in? Whose? It's ours. In other words, we're in control. <laughs> and y'all, we grab it. You can't not grab it. If there's anything clear in this story, um, I think we would agree that Paul did not come to know God by, uh, by, by Paul seeking God. <laughs> seeking God, that if there's anything true in this story, wouldn't we agree that God seems to have come after Paul and would not be stopped and got him? Do you know this is true of all of us? The Bible says there's none who seek God. No, there's none. No, there's not one. And you may say, well, wait a minute, Lloyd. I do know a story that we just studied. There was a eunuch who was traveling this road, and that guy was, he was trying to find God, and he was reading his Bible. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Anybody, how would you explain that? The Bible says none seek God, and then we got this guy that, I mean, he's seeking God. Say it again. The Spirit was at work in him. Here's the explanation. Jesus will say it this way. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You all, why was the eunuch pursuing God? Because God was pursuing the eunuch. Now, you know, the Bible says we're dead in our sin and trespasses, incapable of choosing Faith, that 1 Corinthians says that the spiritually, the, the spiritually dead person can't understand the things of God. And so where that leaves us, quite frankly, is without hope. Unless God acts first to open our eyes. And when we understand that, you see, we step back and we go, salvation from beginning to end is about what God has done. 
Now, I'm not taking the responsibility out of our hands in the sense that when God opens our eyes, we have a responsibility to choose by faith, but we would not even be able to make that choice of faith unless God had opened our eyes and placed that faith within us to believe. And, and for those who would say, well, it's not fair, let me say this. If you're sitting here today, I didn't tell you to come, you're here And if you've never placed your faith in Christ and what I'm saying sort of makes sense, do you understand the only reason it's starting to make sense is because God is opening your eyes. So when God opens your eyes, it's, are you gonna choose God? Are you gonna trust what he says? Now, Paul, he could not let go of the rope of religion and neither can you or I. We can't do it unless we see Jesus. And when Paul saw Jesus, y'all, he didn't just let go of the rope. He made it his passion in life to help every person he ever came in contact with till the day he died see Jesus and let go of the rope of religion. I mean, read his, read his epistles. In fact, I'll let you hear from his own lips in this regard. When I say the word flesh, okay, this is Paul speaking, but when I say flesh, read flesh, I want you to insert right there the ability to climb the rope of religion. Now listen to Paul, Philippians 3. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh in my ability to climb the rope of religion. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, if you think you can climb the rope of religion, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Then he saw Jesus and said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith, in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I'm telling you, when he saw Jesus, he didn't just let go of the rope. He lived the rest of his life trying to help people keep their hands away from the rope. So much so that he called the rope of religion in this passage, doo-doo, dung. That's what he called it. How about us? How about us? Well, we can't let go of the rope until we see Jesus. I want to suggest that we've seen Jesus. Last week, if you were here, you watched people get up, come up here, women dressed for church, choosing in front of you to come up here and with 
jewelry, you know, jewelry and makeup and everything else, get in a black pair of gym shorts and a black t-shirt and sit in front of you in water and say, Jesus has saved me. I'm identifying with his life, death, and resurrection in this public proclamation of the gift of salvation. Can I tell you, they could not do that were Jesus not alive in them. See, do not forget that when you and I as Christians, those who have placed our faith in Christ, when we do, the Holy Spirit lives in us. This is the spirit of Christ himself. This is when we say Christ lives in us. This is the Holy Spirit in us. And so every time you and I see a Christian trust Christ and trust God and we watch obedience and steps, we're seeing Jesus, gang. Now, don't go so far as to say, I'm not going so far as to say we see Jesus as Paul did in this regard. Paul saw the risen Jesus in, the, in, in his resurrected body. He's an apostle. But we see Jesus for we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I just think the last few weeks, uh, we've seen Jesus as a church. And I want to I mark the milestone, okay? We, we need to mark these milestones. When we see Jesus, we see the Spirit of God at work among us. And so I'm going to ask you to do something here, and uh, I've, I've done this at, over the last few months. I feel like I'm doing this every time I'm at Brentwood or Franklin. I'm apologizing to the visitor or the guest, and I'm going to apologize to you again because we're going to do something that's very un- uncomfortable, but here's what I want you to know. It's uncomfortable for us too, not just you, but I think I mentioned to you guys, you know, all the statistics show when you do things and guests feel uncomfortable, they don't come back. I'm sorry about what I'm about to do, okay? I apologize on the front end, but I'm really glad you're here because I just want you to know this is who we are as a church. Now, we don't do this every week. I want you to know that, but I will tell you this. We live to live this word. And to live this word means we, in, we, 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 we trust it and we act on it. We don't just talk about it. And we don't just think it. We choose it and live it, trust it. And that's what we're going to do. So with that, let me ask everybody to stand up. Let me tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the time to do this. Um, if you weren't here last weekend and saw that, you were here maybe two weeks before when we did the baptisms then. And, um, and, and by, you know, if it's not last week that you're reflecting on, how about reflecting on this story? What have you just seen in this story? I'm going to give you three questions to ask someone other than your spouse other than a child that's yours and other than a friend that you really, really know. So you gotta find someone around here that you don't know so well and I'm gonna give you a chance to talk with them and I, I get it, I'm an introvert. This is you know, when I leave the room too. So I'm gonna ask you to do three, three things with this person. I'm gonna ask you to ask them, what did you see? What did you see last week when you watched people stand up, come and be baptized? What did you see in this story? What did you see, see? And the second is, what did it stir in your heart? This is a very intentional word. What did it stir? You all, don't miss that the Christian life is the wholehearted Christian life. It's when, we, it's when we're not just talking about the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of the stories, but we are going, oh my, that has stirred something in my affections, my feelings, my, my, my heart and soul, my, my motives and desires have been pricked as I've seen. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the whole, you got to live with the whole, whole heart, head, heart, soul, strength. So what did it stir? You, you do this all the time. What did that stir in you? Share some of that, what it stirred in you. And the last thing is, what step of faith might God be inviting you to take? I don't know what it is, you know, but you, you might know. You might sense the Spirit saying, you know, as I've watched people take the step of faith, I... 
I think God's inviting me. I can tell you, and I mean this, I sat in my office last week and in my own devotion time, I did something that's super scary for me, but I, and I sent it, I had to send, I sent a text to make it, to set up a meeting to, to, to be with someone that's super scary for me, but I did it because I thought, if I can watch Karen one morning dressed to the T's, stand up in her chair and put on a t-shirt and a black t-shorts that aren't even hers and get in water in front of people, can I not make this step of, you see what I'm saying? It made me make a step of faith. So it maybe is doing that for you. I'm going to give you plenty of time to do this. I want you to turn and want you to find someone nearby, have a conversation with one, maybe two people and ask them these three questions. So whoever asks the questions first, you know, gets to kind of control the, situ- the conversation. So turn right now and do that. I'm giving you time to do that. And I'll, g- I'll gather you up here. You got plenty of time to move around the aisles to get somewhere else. <laughs>